1: So last week, we talked about Jesus' resurrection, and in the midst of that, I obviously gave some pretty uh, morbid details, and I'm going to spare you from the graphic sense of that last week's message and give you something a little bit more PG today, I promise. Uh, But we looked at how non-Christian historical sources corroborated that Jesus appeared after his death, and within those sources, there's no... Speculation, there's no conjecture, there's no hearsay. And not only that, you know, we we walk through how the disciples basically were martyred, and also beyond there, the first 50 years of the early church went under some heavy, heavy persecution. That if this was a conspiracy, it was a very poorly run one, okay? (laughs) Because it's supposed to be a tight knit group of only a few people who take the fall, if any take the fall. And so Make no mistake, the only rational explanation I can give you from non-Christian historical sources and the Bible together is that Jesus truly did walk on this earth in a physical bodily form after he died. So today in part two of Return to Cinder, this is the last time I'm gonna put myself in front of you for a little while, so thank you for your patience. Um, We are going to talk about the details of Jesus' time on this earth, leading up to his ascension. Now, ascension is defined as the action of rising to a higher position or level. What do you think of first when I say the word ascension? Me personally, I think of altitude. I think of literally going up off the ground, like this picture here. This is the view it looks like a, you know, a, a man-made graphic, but it's actually the view from the top of the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. This building is 2,722 feet tall, which is roughly more than a half a mile up. If we were to take this building and lay it down at the front door of our building and stretch it across, it would reach Brahms property. That's how big it is. And the funny thing is, you can actually pay money to jump off the top of this building if you want to. Or how about this one? This one was a stunt done by the illusionist David Blaine. And of course, what did he name it? Ascension. He tethered himself to a few dozen industrial balloons, and he reached an altitude of just over 25,000 feet, which is roughly five miles up, Imagine going up further than Great Bend is wide. And he's basically at the cruising altitude of some small commercial jetliners at this spot. But maybe the craziest ascension ever is this one here. And this doesn't even look like a real photo either. This looks Photoshop, but this is a real photo. This is from 2012, a jump that was performed by an Austrian named Felix Baumgartner. 24 miles above the Earth's surface. surface. And on his way down, he reached speeds of over 800 miles per hour. Faster than the speed of sound, he was falling. And that fall still took over four minutes to make. He took off from Roswell, New Mexico. Guess where he landed? Roswell, New Mexico. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? That he fell literally straight down You would think that he, I don't know, that far away, it just blows my mind. But think about it. Every person who ascends to this type of level, whether it's the top of that building, um, tethered to balloons, or something like this, they all kind of get the right to tell their story, right? They get to explain what it was like to be what we would assume is a near-death experience. Wouldn't you want to know what they were experiencing? What did it feel like to fall at 800 miles per hour and not pass out? because he never did. How did you feel before you jumped? How did you feel when you had the relief of finally being safe back on the ground? Those are all the questions that I would ask. But what do all these ascensions have in common? They all fell back down to earth. They were quite literally a temporary high. Now going up is one usage. Like I said, that's the one I think of most, but it does have another meaning as well, the word ascension. It means to achieve a greater place of authority as to rise to a new position within an organization. And of course, Jesus being who he is, he does both. He literally rises and he has a new place. But Jesus didn't talk about a near-death experience, did he? He literally talked about his death. And he proved that even if he died, he was always more powerful than death. So Jesus' resurrection and his ascension validated every word he said. Just like I said last week, it proved that he was who he said he was. But why did he go? That's the question I want to answer today. But before we answer that, let's read what the Bible has to say about Jesus' ascension to heaven in Acts 1, 3 to 9. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, the disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had all come together, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And Samaria, and in fact, to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. He reminds us again that Jesus was physically on the earth for 40 days. And during that time, Jesus continued to talk about the kingdom of God. And unlike something as big and as limitless as the kingdom of God, the disciples were still talking about Israel. They're like, are you now going to make Israel the focal point of this kingdom and not Rome? In a way, the disciples still don't get it. Like, imagine, they've seen all his miraculous works, They have heard all of his preaching. They have seen him die. They have seen him resurrected. And they still don't quite get it. They thought it was all about them, all about Israel. But Jesus' mission was about bringing heaven to earth, not heaven to a group of people. And I honestly believe that's why we have that mission statement. It's for us to connect to the community and serve the world our job is not to serve Christians. Jesus tells them that they have to wait for God's promise of the Holy Spirit. And after that, that they will be sent out, not to the lands they know, but to the ends of the earth. And that's why that when we went through all of the martyrdoms of the disciples, where did they end up? They were, most of them were not in the Middle East anymore. They were in India, Ethiopia. Spain, and even a couple of them reached Indonesia before they died. When they received the Holy Spirit, they finally, finally realized that the gospel of Jesus Christ wasn't just for them. So I want to show you just a short video that will just kind of encapsulate this, and then we'll move on. Have a look.
0: His very last act on earth is also one of his most puzzling. He ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. On the surface, the ascension appears to show Christ leaving our world, but if we see the ascension resulting in less of Jesus' presence instead of more, then we are missing out on a powerful truth about the ascended Jesus. When Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, she throws her arms around him. She had lost him once, and she would never lose him again. But Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. One could assume that Jesus is saying this because his resurrected body is sacred, but later Jesus invites Thomas to touch his wounds, so that can't be the case. Jesus knew the fear that Mary felt, thinking she had lost him forever. So through his reply, Jesus is saying, if you let go, if you let me ascend, you'll have access to an even stronger relationship with me. Mary, the way I am right now, there's a chance you could lose me. But if I ascend to the Father, you will have me forever and nothing will ever be able to take me away from you. His presence would come through the Holy Spirit, who is not merely a force but a person who would come in his place. Jesus said, Unless I go away, the advocate will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to us. This is why Jesus said that through the Holy Spirit, he would finally show himself to his disciples. The implication is that the disciples did not and could not truly know Jesus until he went away bodily and returned through the Holy Spirit, which is encouraging for us to see because you might be under the impression that if only you could have lived and walked with Jesus, that you would know him better than you do now. But you'd be wrong. Before Jesus died, The Holy Spirit had not been released into the world in this powerful way. And you can only know Jesus fully through the Spirit's influence as He shows you in the shadow of the cross how high and long and wide and deep His love is for us. In other words, through the Holy Spirit, you can see Christ and know His presence and His love better than the apostles on the night of the Lord's Supper. So the inevitable question is, Are you living like this is true? Are you living like Christ is more accessible now than he was when he walked the earth? Jesus has made his intentions clear. He left heaven and all of his glory for your sake. And through his ascension, he has made himself infinitely available to you. Christ has drawn near to you. So draw near to him.
1: So if I could put that in a box, for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus had to leave. But there's more than that. He sends an advocate. It's not like there's a void. There's actually a greater sense of connection if he were to go. Let me give you the best example that I know or that I could come up with in a week's time of what an advocate is. Let's say a a youth advocate is a person that works in the court, in the foster system, and their role is to be in the best interest of a child and to make sure they have proper education, health care, beneficial relationships. They speak for the child because on their own, the child doesn't really have any legal rights or voice. And that's what Jesus does for us. So in his ascension, he leaves the earth and the Bible says that he goes to the right hand of the father to basically plead our case, echo our prayers, even though you and I, we don't really have any rights. On your best days, even years from now, if you're more patient, more kind, more giving, more generous, more pious, whatever, you're still a sinner. It doesn't matter how good you are. But our relationship with Christ basically puts us in direct communication with God because Jesus justifies us before the Father. And, you know, that's pretty huge. I could, I could basically stop right there and say, that, that's the role of the ascension and that's it, you know. And you'd be like, man, I'm short, that's sweet. But I still got a little bit more time, so hold on just a second. There, now I've basically mentioned the whole Trinity, right? I've said the Father, we've mentioned the Holy Spirit, obviously we've mentioned Jesus, and so I think it's a good time to talk about how the Trinity applies here. Many of you have heard some analogies of what the Holy Spirit is like, how to describe something pretty mysterious, how can three things be one thing and one thing be three things? Maybe you've heard of the representation of of water, that water is liquid as we know, or ice that we can use or steam that has its own benefits. It's three representations of basically the same thing. Or maybe you've heard of an either even older analogy. It's like a three-leaf clover. All three leaves are individual. However, they're connected to the same stalk, to the same source. But um, maybe about a couple years ago, as I was thinking about what the Trinity is like, and I try to think of it in a more modern way, of course, Um, I don't know if this is God's revelation, but this is how I describe the Trinity, especially if I'm talking with students. I think of the Trinity being like a desktop computer. And I could let that sit for a second and be like, okay, how does that work? Just follow me for a moment. So the tower, right? The brain, as you say, or the actual computer, that's God the source of all things. Like everything we know from a computer comes through that source, right? Now, Jesus Christ in this representation is the monitor, and that monitor has some built-in speakers. So we know roughly what God is like. We, if we have a picture in our minds, we have paintings of what Jesus is like, and we can kind of say like, okay, That is what God is like. And we can read God's word, and those are coming through the speakers that Jesus is saying them. And so it's like we can see, we can hear, but what if that's all we had? Literally, you have a TV at that point. What you need is a mouse and a keyboard. You need a way to interact with what's coming through that computer what's coming through the speakers and the monitor. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lets us actually communicate and interact with God. Because without it, we're just basically, God's over there, we see it, but we have no way of just being in relationship with it. Does that make sense? You know, okay, it's not perfect. There's no perfect representation of the Trinity that's out there. But like I said, that is me. Like I have all, the, if I, even if I had all the information, if I knew everything, if I can't act, interact with God, then what's the use of it? So let me give you one final example of why I believe the ascension is crucial. What would it be like if Jesus had never ascended? What if he lived forever on this earth Say in Jerusalem, how would we worship differently? Wouldn't we all want to at least visit Jerusalem as often as we could? Like, literally, think of it. Muslims have the journey to Mecca they do every year. That would become our Mecca. We would want to go there at least once a year. Our thought of being close to God would literally be close to Jesus, Of course, and we can even rationalize that by saying, hey, Jesus told the disciples, hey, come follow me, drop everything you got. And it sounds noble. But if the main goal of our faith would be to leave and latch on to a physical Jesus, then I really wanna ask, how is that possible? How can he minister to seven billion people? How can he do that? And uh, I'm not a math magician, mathem- mathematician, mathematician, whatever, either one. I'm not either one. In fact, I had to take college algebra three times because I Anyway, so I did some math, and I used a calculator, and I double-checked it, triple-checked it, made sure it was right, and I lopped off, like, everything behind a decimal point, so just to make it simple. In order for Jesus to see everyone on this earth every year, he would only get to spend one second with groups of 221 people at a time. Every second, he'd get 221 people in front of him. That's it. If you wanted to be in front of Jesus for 10 minutes, it would take just over 132,000 people at a time for a 10-minute slot. And let me tell you, I did some research, there's not a stadium in this country that has a capacity of 132,000 people, okay? There's some that are close, but there's none that big. But what if we scaled it back? What if we said, okay, just Christians? That's a more manageable number, that's like two billion people. So what if every self-proclaimed Christian wanted some time with Jesus every year? What would that look like? May sound more manageable, but that's still 63 people a second. And that's still 38,000 people for a 10 minute powwow with Jesus. Now, that's just one perspective. That's one way of looking at it. That's a very physical, non spiritual way of looking at it. And I'm sure that's not the only reason, or not even maybe one of the top five reasons why God decided to bring Jesus back to heaven. But think of the mindset. If we were all wannabe groupies that would stop at nothing to be with the physical Jesus, where would our focus be? It wouldn't be on other people. In fact, much of Jesus' teaching would immediately go out the window, it would become simply irrelevant. Our focus would be when could we leave our homes? When could we leave our communities? And the needs therein, and just get time with Jesus. Our focus will be completely different. Let me say it another way Jesus did not want to be your celebrity, He didn't want to be popular. He didn't want people to leave everything behind to come to Him when the gospel was made clear. He desired to be a God who would inspire you to change the world, not separate yourself from the world. Because unfortunately, us Christians are already pretty good at that, separating ourselves from the world. So we have this mindset here that if we're going to preach the Bible, if we're going to incorporate prayer, if we're going to encourage you to be generous and to share your faith, it's not so that you can become a better Christian and earn salvation or earn a spot in heaven. We literally teach these things to put tools in your tool belt so that you literally can reach to the ends of the earth. No matter where God puts you, you can be used. So with Jesus leaving the earth, we get that advocate to the father. But not only that, we don't just get connected to God in a different way. We get connected to each other. I want to ask a very vague question. Have you ever felt close to God? Have you ever talked with another person and you kind of figure out or they tell you that they're a Christ follower, and for some reason or another, you may have just met this person that time or within a week or within a month, and it's almost like you feel like you've known them forever. There's like this kindredness, there's this connection. And I can tell you that me being only here three months, I've felt that over and over. And it's not because they're so nice or because I'm so needy. It's because of the Holy Spirit. It's connecting all of us. Or how about another one? When you feel the desire to serve someone, when you have an overwhelming desire to share in someone's suffering, and you feel your heart break for someone else's situation, I'm telling you, that is not because you're a good person. That is not for anything you've done. That is the Holy Spirit speaking through you and saying, I'm connecting you to this person. Have you ever felt the need to pray? Obviously, that's not just because you're pious. Is because the Holy Spirit is inviting you to pray. I tried to explain this next point to my daughter. I don't know how well she got it, but I used it as practice because I was gonna say it to you guys, and I really wanted to get it at such a fundamental level that you guys could pick it up. The Holy Spirit has the ability to pray for us as well. And that sounds weird, but here is one thing that only the Holy Spirit can do. Have you ever been maybe in a hospital room and you're sitting beside a family member or a friend who doesn't have much time on this earth? Or maybe they're so badly injured that you don't know what to say. There's nothing you could say that can bring any comfort to the situation. You ever been in a situation like that? And then for some reason you feel like, man, I, I I gotta pray, but what do I pray? Like, what do I pray? There'll be times when you lift up a prayer and you let it go, and it feels like it just falls back on you like a brick in your soul. Sometimes that's gonna happen. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. If you don't have words to speak, the Holy Spirit has the ability to take the feelings of your heart, the desires in your soul, and translate them to an audible prayer to the Father. He can do that. So if you don't know what to say in a prayer, it doesn't matter. It's the posture. It's the feeling. If you have that overwhelming desire and you don't know what to ask for, just open yourself up, the Spirit's gonna do that. And he can translate a heart's feelings into an audible prayer to the Father. Now again, I I really want you to get this one point. With Jesus leaving this earth, He's not a celebrity. He's not someone you simply just wear clothing for, or you know, wear a cross around your neck, which is kind of weird. It's, it, it would be like us wearing a, you know, uh, a, an electric chair around our necks. It's kind of weird, but anyway. But that's what not what Jesus is. He left so we could be internally connected way more with God, and with other human beings. And that couldn't have happened with him on this earth. And if there's no spiritual component to Christianity, then there's no need for faith, and there's no room for serving other people. And that is contrary to basically everything we we would probably teach you. But if you're like me, if I was still given the choice right now If I knew that Jesus was hanging out at Brahms, I'd probably walk out on you right now and say like, yeah, I'm gonna go hang over there just for a little bit, okay? I still would desire time in front of Jesus if I could get it face to face and forget social distancing. I'm gonna hug him, okay? But the truth is you and I will both get that and we'll get an eternity full of it. See, when your time on earth is done, some of us will have waited months, others years, even others decades for the opportunity to say thank you face to face with him. And for me, I don't know if I would have any words to say other than that. And if I were to look in his eyes, I I don't know what posture I'd be in, to be honest, but let me tell you, heaven is what I'm speaking of. That is none of your goals right now. That's not your goal. Now, it is your destination. If, if you've given your life to Christ and you're just on this spiritual pathway to just know God better so he can use you, that is your destination. But I'm telling you, your goal right now is to bring as many other people in that same loving relationship and that same future destination as you possibly can. That is your goal. And the destination does bring us joy, but the goal has to bring us to a deeper desire just to love on other people. And how do you do that? I mean, that's a sermon into itself, right? I can start right here, a brand new sermon. How do you do that? How do you reach other people? How do you share the gospel? How do you love unconditionally? And it's simple. When the Holy Spirit moves you move. And I tell you, the more you are willing to feel foolish, the more you're willing to just say, okay, this is going to feel weird. I'm going to say this because it's in my heart, and I feel like the Spirit's telling me to say this. And 99 times out of 100, it's not going to be something mean spirited. It's going to be something that's going to make you seem less, and it's going to seem awkward enough that you're going to be loving on them in an in abnormal way. And if you do that, I promise you're going to be more awkward more often because God's going to keep doing that. He said, okay, if you take a step, I'm going to give you something else. You're going to take that step? Okay, I'm going to give you something else. But in an old-fashioned way, you ever heard of the phrase, if you grieve the Holy Spirit, which basically means you feel that tug, you feel that inspiration, and you're like, nah, that's okay. And we take a step back from it. Like, no, I'm not willing to be that awkward. I'm not willing to say that. I'm not willing to do that. And what happens is, it's not that God speaks less, but our mind starts to speak over the Spirit, and we start to miss that. So I'm just asking you, when you feel the Spirit move, you gotta move, because He's drawing you closer to Him. And when you feel really inspired, you gotta act. And the more you do that, the closer you're going to get to God. And it's simple. And that would only be possible with Jesus ascending, is that God unleashes the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to connect us to him and to connect all of us together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that even though we would probably prefer to have the physical Jesus here right now, Thank you that you are our father and, you, and we think like children and you know everything. You are sovereign. You are all-knowing and you know what's best for us. And you know that having your spirit connect us directly to you and to remove these physical barriers and to give us an opportunity to truly connect with other Christ followers and even those that you are moving in their hearts I just thank you that you give us the opportunity. You give us inspiration. And I just ask that we decrease and you increase. And when we're inspired, we act upon that. Because ultimately, we should desire to just be more connected to you and to serve more and serve more and serve more. And we just ask that you do a work in us and you keep us on the path that grows closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.